Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people coming up the aisles right now who'd love to get a Bible into your hands. So if you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, throw your hand up, grab one of these, and take this home as our gift to you. Go to Exodus chapter 6, easy to find, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Old Testament there. Go to Exodus chapter 6, that's where we're going to be for this morning, covering this, this chapter. And we're, we're going to jump right in this morning, right? We're, we're just going to jump into the Word, we're, and we're actually going to start with something that usually isn't considered the most exciting reading in, in, in God's Word. And it's, it's not normally where we would run to for encouragement or for challenge. If you look at verse 14 of Exodus chapter 6, if you're there, we're going to start at verse 14. We're coming back to the beginning. I'm not skipping anything, but starting at verse 14 and, and, and these verses that follow, you've got this genealogy of Moses and Aaron, and it's, it's kind of thrown into the middle of this story, right? Like we're, we're just getting going. The story's unfolding about who Moses is, what's going on with the, the people of Israel and the, the slavery they're in and the, the redemption, the freedom that God's promised. And now all of a sudden, in the middle, it's like you're watching the movie and the credits start rolling in the middle of the movie. I don't know about you, I, how many of you when you're doing Bible reading, and maybe hopefully a bunch of you are, are walking through the Word of God the, this year with us on the Bible reading plan we put out there. And if you're not, man, start now, jump in. But how many when you're, when you're reading through God's Word, maybe you're on this thing, I'm going to get through the Bible and you come to a genealogy and you just kind of like, okay, skip through that, right? Or you just kind of burn through it. Or you're kind of like, when's it get to the stuff that actually matters? Let me, let me just keep going, right? Or you're asking, man, this is my reading for today. This is all I've got. How is this helpful for me today? But here's something. Even in the genealogies, when, when you start to unpack them, you're going to start to see that God is communicating something even in these. It's, it's not just a, a list of names. God's saying, I, I want you to see something here. I want you to know something here. I want to communicate something to you here. You see, Scripture, the genealogies in Scripture, it's different than our way of doing genealogies. Like we go to Ancestry.com, and what are we doing? We're, we're looking to find that one person in our past where we can go, oh, yeah, look at this. On my mom's side, we're royalty in Spain, right? Like we're always looking for the greatest parts of our history, right? That's not how the genealogies see, work in Scripture. You read through the genealogies here, what we're going to see, I'm going I'm to read through for starting in verse 14, you're going to see some busted up stuff in here. M most of the names that in this genealogy, we never hear about them again. And the ones that you do know, where you're like, oh, I recognize that name. It's probably not for a good thing all the time. They're pretty messed up. So we're going to read through these. And if, if you're a Hebrew scholar and you see me struggling on some of these names, fire me an email to tell me the correct spelling and I'll, I'll delete your email. But um, <laughs> appreciate you sending that. Here we go. Let's, let's do this. Starting in verse 14 says this, these are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the, the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the, the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, and Amran, and Izhar, and Hebron, and Uzel, the sons of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merai, Malhi, and Mushai, these are the clans of the Levites, according to their generations. Amran took his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amran being 137 years. The son of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg and Zikri, the sons of Uzel, Mishael, 
Elzaphan, and Sithri, Aaron took as his wife Elishba, the daughter of Amnabad. Amnabad, oh, forget that one, right? That's a hard one to say. And the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nahab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abisath. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar's Aaron's son took as his wife, one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. And these are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, bring out, of the, pe- bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. Now, I don't know if you zoned out while I was reading those. Maybe you did. Maybe you were just waiting for me to mess up on a name. I don't know, right? But, but, but there's a couple of things. Did, did you catch some things in there? You're like, what? Really? Wait a minute. What happened there? What did he say? Did, did Moses' dad marry his aunt? Right? There's a bit of a messed up family tree here, right? You, you recognize maybe some names. Korah is mentioned there. Korah is the one who tried to lead a rebellion against Moses. And God in his judgment opened up the earth to swallow Korah. You have Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who, who died. Why? Because they rebelled against God's way of doing worship. Uh, I mean, just a few examples. Yes, in this genealogy, you see that there's the, the line of, of priests that's coming through here, but you also see, man, this is a messed up family. You, you kind of maybe see why Moses was a little bit unsure that he was the one God called. Like, not only was he unsure because he's hiding out in the wilderness because he killed an Egyptian and tried to bury him in the desert. No, no, his whole lineage is jacked up. I mean, you look at verse 26, I love it. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord says, like, no, no, these are those guys. This is, these are the ones. What, those, are you kidding me? Those are the ones? Like, like, have you seen the family that they've come from? And God's like, yeah, yeah, those are the ones I'm using. That Moses, that Aaron. I mean, I say this a lot, and I say it a lot because Scripture says it a lot. God uses broken people. In spite of your history, in spite of your failings, in spite of the struggles that you may bring with you into this equation of you and God, God uses broken people. And let me dig into why Scripture's so clear about that. Why would Scripture be so clear about God using broken people? It's because of this. We're all broken people. Every one of us. I mean, I love that God's word is not shy about ripping off this veneer that we try to put over our lives, this this Facebook kind of image we put out there, this this Instagram picture that we want people to see, and, and God's word just steps into that, tears that apart, and says, no, 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 you are a sinner in need of a savior. You are a rebel. You were dead and blind and lost. You were an enemy of God, a sinner in need of a savior. And I'm starting here because as we jump into this, as we, as we look at how Scripture applies to our lives, we look at what God is saying, we need to start here because this view of who we are gives us a clear view of who God is. I think we can make one of two errors about our lives, and, 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 and it's a view of God that clears up these two errors. Here's the first error we can sometimes make. We can come into this life, and we can kind of go, you know what? I'm pretty awesome. I got life figured out. I got God figured out. I'm, I'm kind of like God's gift to the world, right? And, and we, we, we can walk in this pride or this arrogance or, or more likely a lot of people, not just walking in pride and arrogance, you're walking in fear, hiding, hoping that nobody sees the true busted up sinfulness of your life. 
And we live in this facade while inside we're rotting out. We're, we're so afraid of being exposed so, or so pridefully blind about who we really are that we never experience the power of God's grace in our lives. That's one error. The, the other error on the other side is we just wallow in our brokenness. It begins to be what defines us so that every time we gather for small group and we break up, hey, let's, let's share what's going on, that, that it's, it's, we just keep talking about our sin, our hurts, our struggles, and it's just everything centers around all this brokenness and it begins to weigh us down and we're defined by these failures, defined by the labels, and we're focused completely on the mess. So think about it, we're, we're either on this air where, we're, where we're, we're like Moses, we've hidden the dead body and hopefully nobody sees it and we walk in that kind of pride. Or we're saying, I'm a failure, why would Pharaoh ever listen to me? Why would God ever use me? And, and here's where God's word presses in on both of those errors. Both of those aren't the proper view. In the midst of the brokenness, God doesn't focus on the brokenness. God doesn't focus on Moses' skills and greatness as a leader. God also doesn't focus on, on, on where he's messed things up. What does God say? Look at verse 29. The Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. He says, I am the Lord. I want us to see this, that, that, that God is working out his plans and he's, he's using people. I love the genealogy here because it reminds us again, wait a minute, this, these are people that God's using. The, the, the plan God has, the mission he's called us to isn't some hypothetical, theological, academic kind of process we go through. No, it involves real people, real people with difficult lives. Real people with difficult pasts. Real people with struggles today. Real people with this, this difficult call to give it all up to follow Christ. And so in the midst of, of this truth, in the midst of, of where you are even this morning, the, the valley you might be in right now, the, the difficulty you might be facing even this moment as you sit here in church, the, the decisions that you're trying to make, the, the successes you are experiencing, the joys today, the, the sorrows today, the, those things that are occupying your mind, taking up the space of your thoughts and your heart and your mind, whether it be your, your family, your marriage, your work, your school, your future, your sin, your plans, the ministry God's called you to, and all of that, God's saying this. He goes, here's the one thing I want you to know. This one view I want you to have above every other view. The, the one thing that comes before all of that. The one thing that changes all of that. The one thing that, that speaks to our high pride that says, I'm amazing. And it speaks to our low pride that says that I'm worthless. And God steps in and he says this. It's not really about you. Take your eyes off of the short view of yourself, God says. Stop looking at the circumstances around you and see this, this view that changes everything. God says, I am the Lord. I want us to spend this morning just unpacking this because until God becomes the, the focus of your thinking, until God becomes the focus of your feeling, until God becomes, as, as John Piper says, the blazing center of your life, until he becomes the Everest surrounding the little foothills of the circumstances of our lives. Until God is the focus of our souls. Until God is the focus of this church. 
until he carries the weight, until he carries the glory, until we see that he's a thousand times more than all our thoughts, all our concerns. Until then, everything else we do on a Sunday, everything else we do with the rest of our week, it's just us shuffling things around. It's so horizontal, and we don't need more religion in our lives. We don't need more programs to fill our time. We don't need more stuff or stuff to do. We need God. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But man, we forget it so easily, don't we? That we need to see God. We need to be floored. We need to be dropped on our knees every day with the awesomeness of who God is, the reality of who he is. So Moses is saying, who, who am I? Why, why would you send me? Who are you to call me to this? And God says, I'm the Lord. I am the I am is what he says. When Moses would look at his shortcomings, God says, I'm the Lord. When life wasn't working out the way Moses thought it should be working out, God says, I am the Lord. Period. I'm the eternal. I'm the powerful. I'm the sustaining. I'm, I'm the incomparable. I'm the perfect. I'm the life-giving. I'm the complete. I'm the glorious. I'm the one worthy of all your praise and energy, your heart, soul, and mind. And listen, we need to linger over that because we lose sight of that. Moses lost sight of that. Now remember, remember what happened. God called Moses out of this burning bush. God, God introduced himself to Moses and said, I am the Lord. And he calls him to this mission to, to go out and lead the people out of slavery into freedom. Moses, he goes and tells Pharaoh. Remember, he says, hey, Pharaoh, the Lord called me to tell you. The Lord says this, let, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, stuff it. I'm not doing it, right? He says, I'm not letting you guys go. Are you nuts? You're my whole economy. You, you, you're what makes this thing happen. I'm not letting you go. So, so Moses goes back to God, right? Remember what he says in, in chapter five. Look at verse 22. So Pharaoh says, forget it. You're not going. Moses turned to God, turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Remember what happened? Pharaoh said, you want to leave? You want to leave? Well, you probably want to leave because you're lazy. Let's give you more work to do. And he just pours on the work and Moses like, what's going on? God, you didn't come through. And Moses experiences this disappointment in God's plan. God, we want deliverance and, and we want it this way. And, and, it, and it can involve suffering. And it better not be delayed. If it's delayed or if this hurts, it must be evil. What's Moses saying? God, this is hard, so this must not be you. I love it that God doesn't stay quiet. Can you not, can you not read that and just understand Moses' complaint? I mean, I'm there. I'm like, go, Moses, because I'd say the same thing. And God doesn't stay silent. He, he speaks into this, this short view that Moses has. Moses isn't seeing things with a long view. Moses isn't seeing things with a higher view. He's got this short view of his circumstances. And God steps in in chapter 6 here. And what's it say? But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. 
I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment." I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses experiences this, this, this disappointment and God speaks into it and God says, I need you to know something. The only thing that's gonna sustain you in this, you need to know who I am. And then he says over and over again to Moses, do you see the repeated phrase over and over here in this chapter? He says in verse 2, he says in verse 6, he says in verse 8, he says in verse 29, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am who I am. Now, now here's the thing. God isn't telling Moses new information. It's not like Moses has not heard this before. He's already heard this over and over again. So why is God repeating himself to Moses? Here's what's going on. For Moses, things didn't turn out the way he thought they should. He's disappointed in how God is moving things along. And in his disappointment, Moses' heart is revealed. It's exposed. I mean, can you, can you think of what's going on here? Moses goes to Pharaoh. Remember what he said? The Lord says that you need to let his people go. And, 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 and Pharaoh turns to Moses and says, who's the Lord? Who's this Yahweh? Who's this I am? He goes, I, 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 know, I know the gods of Egypt. Pharaoh would say, I, I know that I'm a god here, but I don't know this god you're talking about, this Yahweh. And the suffering increases, the cruelty increases. Moses goes back to God and says, hey, what's going on? You failed us. You brought evil on us. You didn't deliver us the way I thought you would. And God says, Moses, I am the Lord. Moses, you sound like Pharaoh. Moses, you don't know who I am. Just like Pharaoh, you're going, who is this Lord who, who does things this way? And, and Moses, you're, you're creating your own God that works on your timing, your plans, your way. And he steps in again and goes, Moses, remember, I am the Lord. See, what's going on here, Moses has this problem. Israel has this problem. And it's not so much their slavery in Egypt. It's not so much what's going on around them. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. It's the, the sin in them, not the sin around them that God's concerned with. He's like, yeah, I, I want to redeem you. I want to bring you out of slavery. But what's he say? I want to bring you to myself. In verse seven, that, that you will know me as your God. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. God has something deeper that he's doing here. He's not just rescuing them from the physical difficulty they have around them. He goes, no, I, I want to rescue your hearts. And so in that way, what's he doing? When their expectations aren't met, when disappointment sets in, the real rescue they need is exposed, isn't it? Moses' heart becomes exposed. I, mean, I love that illustration that Paul Tripp uses where, where we do this. Like he, in here, there's, what well, says we're done. There's coffee in here, right? If, if I were to shake this really hard, what would come out? Coffee would come out. Why would coffee come out? Because it's coffee that's in there, right? And, and we can say, well, no, coffee comes out because you shook it. We, we can blame the shaking, but it's, it's what's inside is what comes out. 
How often in our lives do we blame our circumstances? Do we blame somebody else? Yeah, but you made me angry. Yeah, but the the situations around me is what caused me to be bitter. Yeah, I'm apathetic about things, but have you seen what's going on? Listen, we, we can't always control the shaking that happens, but our hearts are exposed by it, and we're responsible for what comes out. I mean, Jesus says it this way, and listen, this is so countercultural to our time right now. I mean, in our culture right now, it's, it's blame everything around you, right? Blame, blame all the circumstances you're in, and Jesus says, no, 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 out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's inside? Yeah, you can't control the shaking very often, but what comes out is our heart being revealed, and so God confronts Moses. He says, Moses, Moses, your heart's been exposed. You've been shook a little bit, and, and now I want you to pay attention to what's being exposed in this, what's coming out of you in the shaking. And God's not, not getting after Moses. He's not pounding him. He's not shaming him in this. Moses has been shaken, and it's so understandable how he responds, and God's saying, good, I'm glad that's exposed. Now, pay attention to this. In our own lives, when you're shook, what's coming out? Because God's leaning in saying, pay attention to that. That's important. What's being revealed right now? And then what does God do? God says, right in the midst of that, he steps in and goes, let me tell you who I am. Moses says, no, I want to talk about the problem, God. I want to talk about what's going on around me. And and God's saying, Moses, Moses, you need a longer view. You need a better view. You need a better focus. There's so much going on here, so much deeper than just the story that you can see in front of your face. God's speaking into it saying, Moses, I love you so much. I know what I'm doing. I want the best for you. You need to trust me in this. And all of that wrapped up in him saying, I am the Lord. I'm the one who's going to redeem. Now you notice as, as God unpacks this for Moses, what's he say? Verse three, he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. He says, this is how I'm known. I'm God Almighty. El Shaddai is the name there. It's God has all the power. He's the strong one. He's the sovereign one. He goes, that's who I am, Moses. But then he goes on and saying, they, they, but they didn't know me really well. They knew me as as the all-powerful one, but they didn't know me yet as the deliverer that, Moses, you're going to see me as. He's saying, Moses, Moses, I am still El Shaddai. Because Pharaoh kind of puffs up a little bit and does his little routine there, the the little movement of Pharaoh does not change the fact that that I am who I am. I do not change, Moses. I am El Shaddai, all-powerful. You will be delivered. He goes on, look at verse 4. Just some, some words here that should jump out as he, he said, I appeared, I am this. And he says, verse 4, I also established my covenant with them. He said, God, Moses, I, I made a promise. I made a covenant with Abraham. I have a plan in this. And, and it may not always make sense as you're seeing what's going on. But, but listen, Moses, I'm all powerful. I'm all knowing. And I have a plan that I've promised to deliver. Me saying, I'm working this out well. I get that you're being shook right now. I get that life is shaking for you. But I, but I love it. He uses Abraham as an example. Abraham's faith was shaken. Remember Abraham lied to kind of try to pawn off his wife so he didn't get in trouble? And God was still faithful. Abraham took his son Isaac 
up onto that mountain to say, God, I'm willing to give it all to you. I'm willing to have nothing to follow you. And what does God do? God provides. God provides the ram, the substitute, so that Isaac was spared. God's promise being fulfilled. He says, Moses, I am faithful. And one day, Moses doesn't know this yet, but God's saying, one day uh, on a mountain with my own son, I I won't spare him on that day. So that I can fully rescue you. I promise. Verse 5 goes on. God revealing more of who he is. He goes, moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel. See, I'm listening, Moses. I'm not ignoring you because things aren't working out according to your schedule. doesn't mean that I've stopped listening. How important is that? Isn't that, is that not so huge to know God is actually listening? Think of the difference when you're talking to somebody and they're distracted with their phone and the person who puts their phone down and looks you in the eye. There's like night and day, isn't there? Right? And people are nodding because they're like, dang, I'm the one who does the phone thing, right? I do too, right? But there's this, this power of, of listening to know that God Almighty is actually listening. And God's saying, Moses, I'm leaning in. I know you can't see me at work right now, but I'm listening. I hear you. I appeared. I promised. I've heard. And then he goes on, <coughs> verse 5. He says, I've remembered my covenant. Moses, I, I haven't forgotten you. I've remembered this. God's not helpless in the situation. God's not not too busy. He's not too small. He's not indifferent. He's not surprised by what's shaking us. He's not rolling his eyes and going, oh, come on. You don't trust still? No, he is the Lord. He is at work redeeming and saving. God's saying, Moses, I... I need to tell you something. I am the Lord. I appeared. I established. I remembered. I am the Lord. I'm the one who's in charge. And he's saying, Moses, there's something so much bigger going on here that I, as the sovereign God of the universe, am working out. And he's saying, you need a better view. Your view is so, so, so small. You know, I was thinking about Jim Elliott, missionary to Ecuador. I mean, pretty famous story about his life, right, where he gave his life on, on the second interaction he had with the, the people he was trying to reach in Ecuador, the second time he got to meet with them, and him and his other missionary friends were killed on the side of a river, speared to death. And his wife, Elizabeth, asked him as he was going for the second interaction, he was leaving to go see them, and she said to him, Jim, if they attack you, will you use your guns? And Jim said, no, we won't. She said, why not? And he said this, because we're ready for heaven. They're not. I mean, Jim Elliott saw that there was something so much bigger than any pain he could ever face. There's something so much bigger than than his fears. There's something so much greater than the risk he's been called to. He knew there was an eternity. He had that view. He goes, I'm ready for that. His focus wasn't on the here and now. He, he saw, I'm a part of a bigger story here so I can step out and risk and I can trust my life into the hands of this all-knowing, all-sovereign God. I think so often we hold back, don't we? We hold back in relationships. 
We hold back in our marriages out of fear sometimes. We hold back from engaging at church and, and man, I don't want to get into a small group. I don't want people to know me. And we hold back. We, we hold back on the mission we've been called to. Man, I, I don't want to step out and risk to bring the good news of the gospel to my neighbors. Man, I, I don't want to step out. We've been called to this mission to love and to care and to give and to go to see our call here as a local church here first and foremost is to Huntsville. We've been called to reach this town with the good news of the gospel. And then to the ends of the earth, we've been called to that, yet we hold back, right? We hold back, why? I think because we have a wrong view. Our focus is so off. We're looking to the here and the now and not to this greater story that God is writing with our lives. I'm telling you, our church is a waste. It's a waste if we're not seeking this greater story. We need to risk, why? Risk to point each other, to point ourselves to this one who says, I am who I am. I am the Lord. And and we know that as we do this, as we risk in relationships, as we risk on mission, that disappointments will come. And those disappointments will come to remind us, remind us that, that yes, you are a deeply loved character in this story that God is writing, but you are not the main character. I am not the main character. Yes, by God's grace, if he's called you to to be his own, you are a deeply loved character in the story. But listen, you don't get to write the plot. I mean, do you have that focus? Do you you have that view of what God is up to? Do do you see God as God? And is your hope for life to see God more, to know him more? I mean, Jim Elliott, as he died on that riverbank, he He was actually living out the credo, the the motto of his life that he came up with. And he said this, it's a pretty famous quote. He said, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And his, his wife Elizabeth said this, she said, I don't think people fully understood the second part of that that there's something that we can't lose. And, and she wrote a book about her experience there. She called it, she called it the, the Shadow of the Almighty. She, she pulled that title from Psalm 91. Why? Because she was convinced that the refuge that we seek, the, the refuge under the shadow of the Almighty, under his promises, is not a promise from suffering, saying you won't ever have suffering, but there's this promise, a refuge in the shadow of his wings of a final and ultimate victory we get to share in. That was her long view. God, you don't promise to set me free from tough times, from troubled times, but you've set me free for eternity. I mean, listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, for your sake, talking about Christ, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. The one who says, I am the Lord. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, if we have this view, it changes everything. It changes our lives. It changes how we do church. It changes how we do family. As, as husbands, listen, men, men, if, if you're a husband, it changes how you lead and love your family, that you will lay down your life for your wife. Yeah, but sometimes she, who cares? That's the short view. See, man, I'm doing this, man. I'm wore out at work, but I'm coming home because I want to lead my kids to know this Lord. That's our call, man. 
And we take that long view to do it. Wives, wives, ladies, moms, what are you called to? To, to love and, to, and to, to care for, to care for your family and your husband, to love them well. I mean, to be more on your knees in prayer for them than you are trying to do whatever you do to make something happen, but say, Lord, this is yours. I want you to do this. That's a long view. As Christ followers, listen, we're on mission to, to serve, to give, to go, to care, to love, to sacrifice, humbly saying, God, where are you leading me? That's where I want to go. Because we have a long view. Now, now listen, you can see what goes on here. Moses tells this to the people of Israel. Hey, here's what God said. He is God. Trying to give them this, this long view. And look what it says in verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why, why couldn't they listen? Because their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I mean, this is deep pain here. This is not something that's just light. So I, I hope you, you aren't sitting there thinking, okay, don't, don't blow off the struggle I'm in. Don't blow off the pain I'm with right now. Listen, this is a deep pain. They're in this, this, this term broken spirit. They're so disappointed with God's providence in their lives. The word literally means, in the Hebrew, it means a shortness. They're being shortened emotionally. They're being shortened spiritually. They're having, listen, a short view. They're not seeing the whole picture. I mean, when, you, when you experience pain, when you experience disappointment, it, it can shorten your view of God. I've, I've heard it said this way, that what happens is the disappointment in God, the pain you experience, it, it, just, it lands right here. And you can't see anything else because it's right here in front of your face. And, and God's out here going, I am the Lord. You're like, but I can't see you because all I can see is this. It's a broken spirit. It's a, it's a shortened view. It's a, a, a shortness of, of a, I can't see where God is. And, and you live in fear. There's a hopelessness in that. There's fear and, and little faith and, and a broken spirit as you're like, I can't see because all I can see is this. The long view is this. I need to see beyond this. God, I need to trust that you're a sovereign God who loves me, who's called me, who's changed me, who's, who's called me to be his own and me and him to be my God. But that's the long view to this. The long view is, yes, in the midst of these circumstances, this is hard, but the hope I have is not that I'm out of these circumstances. My hope is that I get this God. And, and when you get God, when God calls you to his own and you're now his child, redeemed and rescued, you, you get promises that are here and now. Man, you get promises that are immediate and you get some promises that are long view. The, the immediate, you get a relationship with God. You get this closeness with God. You get the promise of salvation. No shame, no guilt, no chasm between you and God because your sin has been dealt with. That's immediate. That's now. But, but some of the promises of God are long view. No more tears, no more pain, no more death. I mean, those are the ones we wait for. And I think when we forget that, that waiting is a part of the Christian life, when we forget that there's waiting in this, this pattern of what it looks like to follow Jesus, when we forget the waiting, our spirits break and our view becomes short. There are many here today who I believe you've heard, you're my beloved. 
You've been changed by Christ. You, you've heard that. You are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased, and yet you're still waiting. You're still waiting for, for Jesus to, to lift the earthly burden you still carry. And maybe it's going to happen in the here and now. Maybe it's going to happen in the new heaven and the new earth. But, but when we forget that that promise is still true, that there's waiting in that, our spirits can be broken. I said this last Sunday, and I'll say it again. The beauty of the Christian life is not that there's a happy ending that happens immediately. There's, the beauty of the Christian life is that the happy ending is, listen, it's guaranteed. That's where our hope is. And, and it's that hope that removes this short view. When, when, when you follow Jesus and you're grabbing a hold of him, saying, I'm holding on to Christ. And the, the hopes and the expectations I have, that's a looser grip. I'm going to hold on to this because I'll give up what, what I can't keep anyway to, to never let go of what I can't lose. And so we grip tightly. And here's, here's the, the great part of gripping tightly to Christ as you hold loosely to everything else. You, you do that knowing that it's actually God who's holding you. Right? It's like, like a little baby when you pick up a baby and they grab you tightly. It's cute, right? Like, well, you can't let the baby go and, and think they're gonna be able to hold, but they grab tight. Why? Because they're like, you're my hope. You're what I'm holding on to. I'm holding on tightly. But you know that as the dad or the mom, you're the one who's holding. Listen, that's our hope in Christ. We hold tightly to him and that promise. We hold loosely to our expectations knowing that Jesus won't let you go. How, why would I say that Jesus wouldn't let us go? I mean, I love the stories we're walking it through because remember the Israelites at the end of chapter four, they're like, we praise God, we love God, they worship God. By the end of chapter five, they're like, get him out of here, we don't trust him at all. When they worship, God didn't go, Psh, nice worship, it's lame because I know it's not true, I know it's gonna end. No, 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 God continues to be faithful. They reject God, God's faithful to his promise. So what do we do then? Right now, in the midst of the struggle, in the, in the here and now, I would say this, get to know this promise-keeping God. Get to know the I am. Why would, you, why would you be in the word daily? Why would you read God's word daily? Because you're getting to know this I am. You're getting to know God. Listen, if you aren't in God's word daily, and I'm not saying you're doing it for a religious check mark, but if you're not in God's word, you're not gonna know him. Your focus is gonna be short. Like, I can't see God in this. We don't know God. And listen, I'm not gonna guarantee this. I'm not gonna guarantee that if you spend every day in God's word, prayerfully reading God's word, that every day is gonna be this, ah, experience of you and God. I'm not guaranteeing that, but I will guarantee this. If you're never in God's word, you're never gonna experience that. You won't know him. You're not gonna see him at work. The only thing that could give Moses hope was knowing, truly knowing the I am. Why would you change everything in your schedule to make sure that you're here on a Sunday morning? Why would you do that? Again, not for a religious check mark, but to know more deeply the I am. To be encouraged by others to, towards this, this God, this, this Lord, the I am. Why would you sing and listen to worship music? Because it's, it's drawing your heart to know more deeply the I am. Why would you join a small group? Well, I'm just not into small groups. Why would we keep saying, man, get into one? Why? Because you can help being pointed to and help others point to know more deeply the I am. Here's the thing. Some of us in this room right now, my guess is this, there are broken spirits. Some here are, are, are short-sighted or short of breath in this race that we're running. Listen, listen, this is why we need each other. 
And when you step out and go, man, I'm just going to show up on Sunday, then I'm going to roll the rest of my week. I'm not going to connect with anybody. Listen, we need you. Maybe you're here this morning going, I'm not one of those people that broke the door. I've got a great view of who God is. Then would you step alongside others who don't? Would you draw us more closely to that one who promises us freedom to help us have a better picture of God? And if you think, I don't need community, listen, it's a lie. We need it. We need each other in this. That's why God says over and over again to Moses, reminding him again and again, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. If you knew me, God's saying, if you knew me, you would trust me. Yet so often we're like the Israelites. Maybe we're like the Israelites in verse 3. I I know him as almighty. I know that God's powerful. I I know something about him. I I know some truths about God. I I know God in in good theology. I know God in, in, in who he says he is, that he's strong and powerful and mighty and sovereign. But maybe this morning you find yourself struggling to to know that he's powerful and sovereign and mighty for you. His child. Maybe this morning you don't know him or you're struggling to, to experience the redeemer God. Listen, do you you know that God has promised his children, those he's called to himself, he's promised them everything in Christ. Abraham knew God as the promise maker. Moses knew God as the promise keeper. And we know him as the one who all the promises are yes and amen in Christ. Again, Romans 8 says this. There's just some verses I want to pull out of Romans 8. In fact, let me say this. Here's your homework for this week, all right? Homework from the front, okay? Get into Romans chapter 8 this week. If, if, the, if this stuff's pressing on your heart, how about if it's not pressing on your heart, get into it as well, right? Read through Romans 8 this week. Just meditate on it. Go through. Just kind of pick it apart. Prayerfully read through it. Grab, grab verse and say, man, I want to think on that. Meditate on that this week. Pray and fast and work through Romans chapter 8. I mean, here's the, the stuff coming out of Romans 8. As you read it over, as you get to know this promise-keeping God, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In Christ, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. It goes on, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. I mean, the ultimate promise for Moses was that God is going to come and not just deliver them from Egypt, but give this full and final deliverance that that coming from Abraham's seed one day would come, the one descended from the tribe of Judah, heir to the throne of David, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, the one who who is preceded by the the one who's the messenger of this promised covenant, that Jesus would come. He would come like a a prophet like Moses, like a priest like Melchizedek, like a king like David. And Isaiah says this, Isaiah says about Christ, he was stricken, afflicted, he was hated without cause. He was crucified by transgressors for our transgressions and he was wounded for our iniquities. Jesus was buried in a tomb, he rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures and all these promises, all waiting one day to be realized. Why? Because God remembered. Because God saw you. Because God heard. Because God's a promise keeper. Listen, as the worst team comes up this morning, as we end off, we have to take this long view. 
Here's the long view that Moses didn't even see, that, that something so much greater was coming for Moses, something greater than he ever could imagined. And listen, loved ones, you have, you have more good news coming than you could ever imagine. What do I mean when I say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, that, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can even comprehend the good things that God has for those who love him. And God remembered the covenant as he saw his people in slavery. God remembered. He remembered the, the promise. God the Son remembered the promise in the Garden of Gethsemane when he wrestled with what he was called to do. He remembered this promise when he was dying, hung on a cross for us. He remembered his promise in the resurrection. Listen, he remembers it for you. He remembers the promise he laid out for you that every I will, every divine promise where he says I will becomes I did in the gospel. God has not forgotten where you are. God has not forgotten who you are. Listen, let's not forget who God is, amen? Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you did not hide yourself, but that even in the, in the tough times, even in the struggles, even when, when we're so disappointed because you're not doing things the way we want you to, that that you still reach in, you still speak in. And God, you speak into our lives with a, a truth that changes everything. When you say, I am the Lord. I am the one who redeems. So God, I pray that as we sing now, as we, as we, as we talk after the service, as we pray with each other, God, as we go through our week, that, that our hearts and our minds and our souls will catch that long view that God, you are, the promise keeper. That the promises you give, you, you're, you're that promise keeper. You're, you're the one who is true. You are who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. God, that, that that's what our hearts want to go after even today, that we would know you, know you more, because Lord, we know that's when we're changed. I pray this in Jesus' name.